today intend to look at just a, a few verses from verses uh, 17 to 20 of chapter 2. We'll read a little bit past that to help us get a little bit of a fuller picture. So we'll read down to verse 5 of chapter 3. So beginning at verse 17. Okay, J36. But, brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. And this is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for our gathering this morning, the opportunity to be together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your truth. We pray that your spirit would give us understanding. We pray that we would not be hindered. We pray, Lord, that you, Father, would meet us at our point of need, whatever our hearts may be burdened with, or thinking through this day, would you meet us there and give us encouragement and grace? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In my uh, very first ministry role, we had some friends named JP and Debbie, South Africans. Any South Africans here today? I know there's plenty everywhere. Where's the South Africans? There's one out in front of two. And just there, we they were just such wonderful friends right away. Um, we just connected with them so well. Very foodie people, which, which helped uh, a lot. And a very open home. And we've kept in touch with them since then. They introduced us to lots of foods that we're still obsessing about today, and rooibos tea and all those things. And they're now in Australia. So right across the other side of the globe. And they, in their commitment to us, get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, well, they're already up before 5 a.m., so that we can talk to them and keep in touch with them. So that's what, 9 or 10 o'clock our time, I'm already ready for bed. They have gotten up, crack it on, and they're sitting there and they just look bright as daisies, I'm thinking, I hope they've done that. And I'm always impressed just by the sense of effort that they make in order to cultivate that friendship and encourage one another in the gospel, and it's really quite a special thing. 
And in this passage of scripture, Paul wants them, first of all, to understand the effort that he has and continues and seeks to make, and by implication, the importance and significance of making every effort with each other for that gospel good, for that community. Do you see how he says in verse 17, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul uses this uh, family language again, brothers, brothers and, and sisters. He's talked to them like family. He says that he, them, he and the others were like mothers, they were like fathers, they were like children. And here again, he's back to those references and says, we were torn away from you. And it's a word that's getting at being orphaned by how they were separated. It's coming, it, it's expressing how unnatural that separation was and how intensely distressing that forcible removal was. So he got kicked out by the authorities and suddenly had to, to leave. And he's expressing the depth of loss and shock and the severity of that. It was like being orphaned when he says we were torn away from you. And that short time, or it could be maybe years, hard to know, but that was something unnatural. They were torn away, orphaned. And he wants them to know that he had made every effort out of his intense longing. We made every effort to see you. You see in brackets there, he says that in person, not in, in thought. You know, he's saying, I wasn't there in person, but it wasn't a case of out of sight, out of mind. He was very much mindful of them that whole time. And that intense longing is so expressive from Paul. The depth of love he has for them, the effort he seeks to make, make for them. He wanted to see them. He wanted to be with them. And seems as he couldn't, he wants them to know the effort that he had made in order to be alongside them. He preferred to be with them face to face, but he says, verse 18, if we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. So his time with them face to face was, was precious. He wanted to reconnect in that way. It was something to cultivate, something that was intensely valuable, something that was irreplaceable. And he was making every effort out of intense longing to have that opportunity. He was prevented from doing so. And I think for us, we are, by implication, being encouraged not to take for granted the opportunity we have when we come together and to make every effort with and for one another, for our knowledge and experience of, of Jesus by his spirit. It's especially urgent for us as a city center church. We're not a village community where we walk past each other every day on the way to the butcher. You know, we, we've, we've come from all around the city, we've come from all around the world, and coming together in this context for us is a great blessing, but we've really got to be very deliberate about how we interact with each other. You know, what we see here, what I, as, we, as I look at this room, as you look at one another, 
it's not it's not a cinema so it's not just that we're all in the same place participating through the, the one experience it's not about that you know it's not as if we would otherwise be strangers or, or ought to be otherwise strangers one to another we are called together so that we may make every effort with each other called to make that effort for and with one another that we may grow in our knowledge and understanding of what it means to know and follow Jesus. And that is an effort. You know, sometimes you say, oh, such an effort. And usually by that we mean the next sentence, I can't be bothered, right? But actually Paul is saying, we made every effort because we really wanted to. Now it didn't work out, we were prevented from, from doing it, but we want you to know how intensely we longed for that. And sometimes for us it doesn't always work out despite the best laid plan, but you know, we miss you when you're, you're not here. You know, Esther and I would come home and we say, oh, so-and-so wasn't there. You know, we really miss those guys when, when they're not around. And it's very encouraging when we do get together. I mean, this morning, it was wonderful to have you guys here for our prayer and pancakes and to be together and to hear one another's voices, see each other's faces, have little Hosanna running about the place and be praying for and with one another. That was a lot of effort. John and Hannah were here when we arrived. They got to bed at one o'clock in the morning. And they were here. I don't know what they were doing at one o'clock in the morning. Anyway, they were here at half eight, making every effort for, for our good together. And you know, that really um, brings joy to your heart to participate that way. And beyond Sunday, beyond this gathering, we're called to make every effort to, to get alongside one another, to make every effort to be deliberate in our relationships one with each other and to say, you know, how's it going with you? You know, really, what's happening in, in your heart? What's happening in your relationship with, with God? What's he showing you about your, your sin and your, your joy? And what's he pointing out to you in the scriptures? And how can I pray for you right now? And not just assuming the commonality, but rather talking about it. That's what I mean by making every effort and inviting one another into your homes and, and around your table. Um, I'm, being, I'm being fed today, I'm very happy about that. And those opportunities to be together around the table are really, really precious. And to allow people, not just into your homes or around your table, but into your heart, to make every effort. Sure, you may run into roadblocks, but to long for that, to make every effort towards that, it does you good. And it does those you make the effort with good. So make every effort with each other. Though Satan may hinder you. Paul says, verse 18, For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did. Again and again. And he's very plain in what he says. But Satan stopped us. Satan stopped us. I watched a documentary called Hail Satan. Anybody seen that? It's the kind of thing I watch, you know? <laughs> when I'm not here. Satanic programs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's about the, this uh, growing movement of, of Satanists in, in the States. And it's, it's a very political movement. And it's uh, got lots of um, scary elements to it. But some of them are actually... Um, satanic atheists so to speak they don't believe in satan but see him as a kind of a figurehead 
So in that respect, I'm more of a Satanist than they are because you know I believe in an actual Satan. But you can read, you can you can watch that program and find out about it. It is quite fascinating. But for some, there's this kind of ghoulish fascination with the dark side and with with Satan. For some, there's a crippling fear where he's almost bigger than, than God himself. And for others, it's just a cartoon type thing that you put on ice cream. You know, it's devilishly good. And you get all of these sort of uh, reactions to thinking through what Satan is about. But there's none of those reactions here. Paul is very matter of fact. He says, Satan stopped us. He's very categorical about it. He wanted to get to them, but there, a satanic roadblock was put up in his way, and, and he couldn't get through. He couldn't get to them. He doesn't say what happened. <coughs> he doesn't say how it happened. He doesn't quench our curiosity in those instances. He doesn't say how he knew that it was Satan who stopped him. It's not like Satan was there at Lollipop, like Lollipop Man is saying, stop. But, you know, he doesn't say, he doesn't tell us, he just says Satan stopped us. He says he blocked the way, he hindered them from, from getting back. So he's not interested in saying the hows and what's, but what is significant is that it's shown you the power of Christian encouragement and the power of godly leadership. Because such was Satan's concern for the power of that, that he blocked Paul from getting through. However, he did it. He didn't bring harm to Paul, but he stopped Paul and the others from getting to that community because he understood the significance of getting alongside one another and making that effort with each other and of the power of the leadership that they had come under in Paul, which was all about the power of the gospel of Christ. And so it tells you the significance of that, of that fellowship and that reunion because Satan made his stand against it. He's not like God. He can't be in all places at all times. But he made a point of being in that place at that time to stop that travel from happening. It tells you how significant this interaction between Christians really is. And he hates all good things. He desires to ruin our efforts to encourage one another. He's purposeful about that. He wants to see Christians hindered. He wants to see them stopped from getting alongside one another in those key ways and discussing where your life is at. He's interested in blocking that and stopping that and getting in the way of that. He wants to hinder churches. He wants to discourage churches. He wants to stunt churches. He wants to stop them growing. He wants them to be snuffed out. He doesn't want to see churches planted and so on. And so it's wise to be aware of that reality. It is a real threats and we read earlier from Peter about how Satan as an enemy is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Those are realities and Paul is clear about it. He stopped us. But he is a defeated foe. The cross of Jesus Christ has crushed and defeated Satan, humiliated Satan and the enemies of the cross through his death. He has been defeated and his power of sin and death has been defeated through everything that Jesus has done. And his time is under God's providence. And what he does is under God's providence. But we have got <coughs> to be real and not underestimate what he can do. 
while at the same time not thinking that he is somehow in control, which he is not. Or pinning things on him, which you know are your own responsibility. So to be general about it though, all gospel hindrance can be described as satanic in, in root. Now in specific ways, you know, it's not, it's not always clear. None of us are apostles. None of us are apostles. I mean, I have had experiences where I've been categorically clear in my mind that there was some kind of satanic attack occurring. And sometimes I get a sense of a real troubling darkness about whatever context I'm in. I've experienced that a few times. But where is Satan at work perhaps when where you're sick before a conference you're due to speak at. Or um, you come in on a Sunday morning and the council have shut off the water. Is, has Satan shut off the water? Well, maybe he has, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an apostle. But you can only, you know, some things you can generally say, yes, we know Satan is against that. And that can be your main concern. The specifics, I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't mean that we ought to be in some way indifferent to it. We need to expect hindrance and opposition. And expect that when we as individuals, as a church, as a mission agency, seek to encourage people to know and to follow Jesus, we can expect hindrance. We can expect Satan to desire to stop that. We've seen this morning, thinking through the persecuted church in Eritrea, Satan seeks to stop Christian witness. He seeks to stop Christians. And sometimes in our own setting, when we might not be locked up, we experience hindrance from those who actually say they're Christians, but have no conviction about the authority of Scripture and are doing Satan's work for them. And they say, oh, it doesn't matter what the Bible says about this, it doesn't matter what it says about that. Don't bother with that, you know, just move with the times. That is hindering, that is, that is stopping, that is satanic, ultimately. And so we have to make every effort for and with one another. Though Satan may seek to hinder and encourage one another to see that. But Paul is not writing to give them a biblical theology of Satan's activity. He just said Satan stopped us. But his, his point is, he's explaining why he hasn't been back. And it's significant because he wants them to know how desperately he did try to get back. He doesn't want them to think that he has forgotten them or neglected them. He's not making excuses. He's giving a reason. And when, within his broader conviction of the sovereignty of God, he's saying, we made every effort to get to you. You need to know that. We long to be with you. But Satan stopped us. <laughs> Satan may hinder. He may stop things. But he is defeated and cannot win. And the purpose of the gospel will prevail because Jesus is already victorious. He has gone to the cross. He has gone to the tomb. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended. He rules. He will return to bring all justice and quash the enemy finally. But we need to make every effort with each other along those lines, though Satan may hinder and stop us in the interim. And that will bring real significant difficulties. But we ought to do that because Jesus' return will make us glad that we did. Verse 19. 
For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. When we think of heaven, generally speaking, I think that we in, in, in population out there are thinking very individualized, bespoke ways. Think about, I'll be putting my feet up, um, you'll have whatever it is you're into there to do in, in perfect fashion. And you know, when, when you listen to people who are not, not otherwise remotely religious or spiritual or Christian, they will say of somebody who they have lost, they're looking down on us smiling. Or if we are thinking about it from a theological point of view, we may be asking ourselves, well, I wonder what relationships will be like and when we get there. You know, what about that person um, that, that I meet in church and, you know, or, or that other Christian family member or whatever, you know, what will my relationship be to them? You know? Um, people like to ask me, well, do you think you'll have hair? <laughs> do you think you still have earrings? I think I, think I won't care. But anyway, um, you know, and some people think about the, the crowns that, that they may receive and what they might look like. But this passage, I think, is quite distinct because it doesn't really take us in any of those directions. He asks two rhetorical questions, and they're revealing and unexpected in what they say, I think. So he asks them two rhetorical questions. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown, on which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? And that will bring heaven to earth. What, what, what will be our hope and joy and crown at that time? You said, well, where is he going here? Um, how do we go from satanic roadblocks to, to Jesus' return? And in part, it's to affirm to them that, that nothing can, of course, block the return of Jesus. But that's not, not his point. Jesus' return, what will be their hope, their joy, and crown? Is he, you know, trying to get them to look past the present difficulties and think big picture about about their hope, their joy, and their crown? Well, sort of. And you would expect them to say, our hope, our joy, and our crown will be, will be Jesus himself. And all that that means. And all that his return will secure. You can imagine if you were hearing this for the first time, you'd be thinking that. I don't think you would have anticipated what he says in response to the first rhetorical question, which is, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I don't think you would have expected them to say that. But what he is saying to them is, look, this is how significant you are to me as a community of people. This is how much effort I made to be with you. This is how much Satan was seeking to hinder and stop. Because you guys are our hope, our joy, our glory in the presence of Jesus. You, is it not you? So Paul is anticipating looking at them in the presence of Jesus and saying, they're here. They're all here, and it's been worth it. That's how much they mean to him. He hated being away from them. He wanted them 
to know that he had this intense longing to be with them and his intense longing would be expressed in joy when they are there with him in the presence of Jesus. Celebrating. It, it, it's all been worthwhile. They kicked me out of Thessalonians. I got beaten into a pulp before I got there in Philippi. They booted me out and I haven't been there since. But if I get to Jesus and you're there, it's all been worth it. It's all been worth it. Is it not you, he says? You know, we think of heaven as putting our feet up. You know, my work here is done. Some eternally satisfying me time at long last. But Paul's other person-centeredness reached into his eternal thinking. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about their faith enduring, their being his crowning achievement, so to speak. Should they not be there, he says, oh, it would have all been for nothing. To the end of what we read earlier in chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid, and in some way the tempter, Satan, might have tempted you. And look what he says, and our efforts might have been useless. And so he's saying that they will be the source of his joy. That the fruit and growth and purposefulness of Christ and all that he brought to them will be seen in fruition. And therefore, he, he continues to make every effort, wants them to continue to make every effort, despite the hindrance that may come, because Jesus' return will make it worth it for him, for them, for all of us. I got a, you know, sometimes you get these messages out of the blue on um, Facebook Messenger, if you still use that thing. I got a message. Um, in March 2020, totally out of the blue, from the time that I used to work in um, Trinity College with the campus ministries there. A fellow I hadn't seen in years. He just messaged me, he said, hello, Kieran, it, it's Cahill Dolan. We knew each other briefly through the CU when I was in Trinity. I do remember. I'm writing and reflecting about my time in Trinity. And one of the best parts of my time in university was my development as a Christian. I remember that you were kind of the key speaker for my first term, and one of the reasons CU was so enjoyable and why I feel I got so much out of it. I don't even remember much of what you said. Fair enough. <laughs> Only that you spoke with authority to get my meaning. So yeah, just to thank you for being such a big part of my faith formation. I live in Paris now, and only usually get home twice a year to see family. So who knows, but maybe see you again. All the best, and God bless. You know, let me tell you, those were grim years for us as a family. They were hard, hard years. You know, there are times I said to myself, I don't know why I'm doing this. What is the point? These guys do not care. No, why did I, why did I, why, why did I come here? You know, we couldn't pay the rent. Finn was not sleeping. We were under all sorts of pressure and I'm heading out the door to go, to go to Trinity with half the students asking me who I am, what I'm doing there and you meet in opposition with the campus, you meet in opposition all around the place, you, you come home and just say to yourself, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this. 
And sometimes emails like that come in and I get, I get encouragements from, from you guys as well. And when, when they come, you realize, look, yes, it's, it's lots of effort. It's a lot of effort. Satan has sought to hinder and encourage, but, but it, it's worth it. And it's worth it. You know? I don't know how long I, I'm going to live. I don't know how long you guys are going to live. And I don't know where this church ministry of ours will go or what adventure we're going to be on. In part, I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is, whatever way each of us journey, that we're all going to be there together in the presence of Jesus. That's, that's what motivates me. That's, that's why I, I, <laughs> I'm here. It's still not always easy. You know, you're, you know where I, I've been off half the year. It's not your fault. <laughs> but you know, I, I'll come back. Why don't I come back? Because this is what motivates me and this is what impassions me and this is why I, I'm here. It's because I want to see all of your faces there. And for us to celebrate together, not, not my victorious ministry, but the fact that we persevered together. We made every effort for and with one another. And yes, we've been hindered. And yes, it's been difficult. And yes, Satan has been active. And yes, we've come against all sorts of opposition, physically, mentally, emotionally, through those who would oppose us in, in Dublin and through all the mess that's gone on and is going on, that we will get together and know that it's worth it in the presence of Jesus. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. That's why Cameron's Boston is good every week to teach the gospel and to bring opportunity for you to bring them to your workplaces. That's what we're all about. And that's why we're here one with another towards that end. And so let's make every effort with each other, though Satan may hinder us, because being in the presence of Jesus will make it all worthwhile. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are glory and joy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words and we pray you help us to put them into practice in our community here. You understand, Father, our makeup. You understand our logistics. You understand the context. And we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of this community, which though we have so many comings and goings, um, we thank you, Lord, for the atmosphere of love and care and how that resonates. We pray that we would be deliberate about cultivating that. Um, we pray against the hindering forces of Satan. We pray he flee from us. We pray, Lord, that we would make every effort in anticipation of when we will meet you, Lord Jesus, face to face and be in your presence. We thank you for these words of, of Paul's, the passion and conviction of his love for these people. We pray we might emulate that and one with another for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.